The Health Mastery Cafe is recorded live and produced by DMMD Studios. Coronavirus COVID-19. What is it? I've got a virologist on our show today, and we've also got the other side of the story, which everybody's concerned about, obviously, their children. I've got a board-certified pediatrician from Chicago. Next on the Health Mastery Cafe. Rethinking what's at stake. Rebranding health. This episode of the Health Mastery Cafe is brought to you by The Good Doctor, starring everybody's favorite, Dr. Dave, helping us heal from the inside out. Welcome back, healthy people, to the Health Mastery Cafe 2020. I am your host, Dr. Dave. Listen, it's been a long time since I've posted a podcast, but as you all know, right now, if there is a time to do one, now is the time to do one while we're all sort of, you know, obsessed and in a frenzy around the so-called coronavirus COVID-19. What is it? You know, is our is our response to it overblown or is it are we right on track with this? Well, we're going to talk about that with an expert in viruses. Not many people are talking to virologists. I've got a virologist on our show today. His name is Dr. Yancey Rabowski, and he is in the Washington, D.C. area, goes back between Atlanta and Washington, D.C. And we've also got the other side of this story, which everybody's concerned about, obviously, their children. I've got a board-certified pediatrician from Chicago. Her name is Dr. Allison Foster on the show. You don't want to miss this podcast. It's going to be the best time you spend for you and your family on the next Health Mastery Cafe. Well, people, I am really um, excited about the show because of what it's going to mean for us in terms of real information. I am joined by an actual virologist. If you want to go to the source of what a virus can do, you should probably go to people who study viruses and think about viruses, uh, um, you know, all their lives. And that's what we've got on the phone today. Um, I've got Dr. Yancey Rabowski on the phone. And Dr. Rabowski got his PhD in uh, microbiology and molecular virology at Tulane. He's done some really important work at the CDC. He's also done a lot of important work at the Washington, D.C. Department of Health and is now really spending his time on stuff just like this, which is to help government leaders set policies, change and modify their operations to be able to respond um, with real data, real analysis to things just like this COVID-19. Dr. Rabowski, thanks for spending a bit of your morning with us. Uh, Dr. Bay, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I mean, this is probably consuming a lot of your time. I can't imagine how much of this you really are being exposed to. Is this is this affecting your day to day job? Oh, it, it is indeed. I mean, it, and it doesn't stop because it's not just our work, but then you come home and you realize it, how it affects your communities as well. So this is something that is a, a, a 24-hour cycle with most uh, researchers, scientists, and physicians, as you well know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think all hands on deck is appropriate. The question, you know, becomes, you know, is this thing way out of you know, you know, overblown. Are we are we right on target? Or are we really blowing this out? And I want to get to that, but before we get to that, Doctor Baskin, because everybody really wants to know that. I mean, let's just be honest. Okay, what I really want to start with is some of the basic biology for people. Tell us what is a coronavirus? What is COVID nineteen? Sure. 
So coronavirus is our genre of uh, enveloped uh, positive single-stranded RNA viruses that uh, they get their name, the corona, from their crown-like surface projections. These are spike projections that you can see on some of the fancier high-resolution images uh, that we see so present on these, uh, of these viruses on television. Uh, coronaviruses are highly transmissible and pathogenic viruses uh, that are uh, also they also cause zoonotic infections, which means they can go from animals to people. Uh, so a lot of so uh, these these viruses have adapted to humans, and preliminary uh, phylogenetic analysis shows great similarities between uh, SARS-like coronaviruses and uh, the human coronaviruses that affect people. So. So, so this is an important interruption. So, so this coronavirus is not some new. The, the the family of coronavirus has been around for a very long time. This is correct. Yeah, and there and there are thousands of different coronaviridae, as we say. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. They are correct. This just happens to be a new one. This is a novel one, and so the nineteen comes from the fact that it was discovered or characterized in twenty nineteen. Exactly. Exactly. And and. One thing we have to be clear on is that the virus itself, SARS coronavirus 2, is the name of the virus itself, whereas the disease is referred to as COVID-19, coronavirus disease 2019, as you... you, uh, Ah, so an important distinction. The actual full name, last name, middle name, first name, middle name, and last name is SARS coronavirus? SARS coronavirus 2. SARS coronavirus 2. You got that, everybody. SARS coronavirus 2. But the name of the infection is COVID 19. Exactly. Ah, that is a really important distinction. And I think we're just sort of using them interchangeably. And what you're telling us, Dr. Rabowski, a virologist, by the way, everybody, um, is telling us that they're not the same. They are a part of describing uh, a similar thing. The COVID is the infection. Okay, that's fantastic. So um, this is highly transmissible. Um, how how does this thing get transmitted? So t- coronaviruses uh, are transmitted through saliva and respiratory droplets. Uh, okay, so droplets for for you know for everybody that means that essentially this thing can be released into the air from a vector. We just say, you know, from somebody who has the infection, somebody who's infected through sneezing or coughing. Is that right, Dr. Baskin? This is correct. Yes. Then the droplets do have some, some flight time. Is it an airborne virus? See, now, as a I hate to use the term airborne and, but, but in the sense that if someone sneezes, that in fact travels by air. So there, so when someone sneezes, it's between six and nine feet uh, of infectious particles. So a lot of people don't refer to that as being quote-unquote airborne um, as opposed to something that just rides on the air. So technically speaking, it's not airborne. However, it can be transmitted uh, in short distances from person to person through the air. Yeah. And you say those distances are up, you know, somewhere between six and nine feet after a sneeze or a cough with the particles being released into the air. Okay. So they, so they essentially can jump they, they really can't fly. Okay. It's, right. It's like a squirrel. It's not like an eagle, right? This is what we're talking about here. 
yeah, they, they can jump for, for distances, but, you know, depending on your proximity, um, and we'll talk about all of this in a, in a second when, with the social distancing, um, you know, you can be exposed to it. Um, they live on surfaces. So, you know, once it's sneezed out and it doesn't drop on somebody, is it over for the virus or does the virus have life outside of the body? Uh, the, the, the virus does, in fact, have a half-life uh, on surfaces. Uh, and we were not entirely sure of the numbers, but there was a recent Johns Hopkins study uh, that, that found uh, uh, that the virus, could, the survivability of the virus uh, on surfaces uh, was up to four hours on copper, up to 24 hours on cardboard, and two to three days on plastic and stainless steel surfaces. So you said on cardboard... It's 24 hours. And plastics and stainless steel, it can last for days. It can. Okay. So, you know, you can trans, you can get that virus off of a surface where somebody who is long gone then, okay, has infected. And that's the, that transcend, the, the transmissibility. Okay. So let's, let's, let's talk about this because, um, you know, in the, in the second part of our interview, I really want to give people what they can use. So we, there's a lot of information out there, but we're going to tell them what they can use. But before we go into that, there's a lot of sort of, you know, I, I sort of extreme in what it seems to be extreme maneuvers in response to this. In a word, panicked. It sounds like that the, the world is really in a frenzy, especially those in the U.S. going and and clearing off shelves of uh, you know non-perishable goods and, and, and paper goods and plates and all of these things. My question to you, is the world's response overblown or are we right on the money here? It's a great question, Dr. David. I'll tell you this, that I would say that our medical and healthcare professional response is right on time, but our population's response is overblown. And I'll explain what I mean by that. This is a very, as a nation, we are only as protected as our least vulnerable population. In this particular case, our least vulnerable population are the immunocompromised and the elderly. So, but who lives or takes care of the immunocompromised and the elderly? Well, healthy, healthy adults in most cases. So, as a result, we all must be very diligent and careful about the transmission of this virus. So, to that extent, a lot of this is, is, is a, while there are uh, certainly uh, unknown times in the sense that we've never seen something quite like this in our lifetimes, uh, it is not overblown in the sense that what, what, the, uh, what the healthcare providers are asking us to do with the social distancing, you know, the, the sanitizing practices, hand washing, uh, Etc. So these are things that are certainly, you know, we certainly need to call these into, into practice. Now, from a population perspective, do we need to clear the shelves out for, for you know, no, I, I don't believe that. I don't think we need to, uh, you know, stock, you know, <laughs> thousands of bottles of Purell. We don't need to, I, I don't know where the toilet tissue shortages come from, quite frankly, but I, but I understand people may or may not want to go back to the to, to the, these retail stores, grocery stores, time and time again. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I think, I think Dr. Rabowski, that's part of it, right? So from a business standpoint, there are a lot of business people that are going to be listening to this podcast. The supply chain interruption is what I think partly has the markets going, you know, um, you know crazy right now. And business people across the, the globe really sort of saying, if I can't get my supplies from, from, 
you know, regions that are, are affected most, you know, the China region, the Asian uh, uh, continent, you know, uh, now Europe, right? If I can't get my supplies, then we really might have a supply chain problem. But to your point, on an individual level, look, I'm trying to get everything I might need for the next three months and not have to go back out if there's some terrible pandemic and killing everybody. Yeah, and I, and I understand that, that rationale, but we also have to think about uh, the shortage that that can cause uh, for others, in, indeed. But uh, so, so I think I'll just say that, you know, we need to keep keep a little calm here and, you know, listen to our, our television, the healthcare providers and specialists, uh, and, and learn more about what we're dealing with rather than panic. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, a statistic out there and, and, you know, I always tell my patients to always confirm with me, you know, the stats that they, that they hear, that they read. And number two, let's see and resolve it with their case. Let's see if it really applies to them because not everything does. There's a statistic that says 80% of those affected by the, the coronavirus will only have minimal symptoms of COVID-19. Um, of the 20% who have significant symptoms, my question to you is, if that's true, um, can we determine or predict who's going to have the bad outcome, right? you know, specifically dying from it or having really, really bad, you know, illnesses that last for a long time? Is, can we tell that? No, not right now. So outcomes are not currently predictable. However, there are assumptions, which, which differs a bit from, from, from uh, predicting uh, one can assume that older people in the immunocompromised will have more severe symptoms of those who are infected. But the outcomes are not necessarily predictable. Uh, they've, they've been healthy, albeit very rare cases of healthy individuals uh, who, have, who have not done well with, with the syndrome. And then there have been older immunocompromised people who have, who have made very, very uh, efficient uh, recoveries. Uh, so to your point, no. These uh, outcomes are not predictable, but uh, one. But there are also some certain assumptions you can make uh, based on uh, the health of the person who uh, who was infected. Yeah. So important for us to to uh, to um, make a distinction on here for people: the people who are at most risk, not only risk, but people who are at most risk are those who have. An immune compromised state, and that there are a number of conditions where your immune system, the the system that fights infections, after all, you know, like viruses, is under compromise. And those are people who, for example, are taking medicines for transplant. Those are people with severe uh, conditions of their immune system. There are people who are taking medicines to actually suppress. The immune system, like steroids and other steroid-sparing medicines, there are a number of them. There are people who have other conditions like heart failure, renal failure, or kidney failure, liver failure, uh, 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 COPD, lung diseases of different forms, diabetes. All of these diseases can, in some way, shape, or form, increase your risk for having a bad outcome. Now, it's really important, I think, to make the distinction. Being infected does not mean you have illness. Is that true? This is true. This is true. In fact, uh, 80% uh, of mild illnesses will, uh, people with, uh, with mild illness will recover on their own. They, they don't require hospitalization. Yeah.
not no no hospitalization. They will have sort of a a, a typical response to a virus like coronavirus get over very quickly. Um, and so you don't have to have these dramatic symptoms with a big fever and coughing and can't breathe, which are the three big symptoms that we're talking about. Fever, coughing, shortness of breath. You don't have to have those to be infected. Therefore, if you are infected, you can pass this around on surfaces. And we're going to get to, after the break, what all of you can do to stop the infectivity or to to minimize, we should say, the infectivity Next on the Health Mastery Cafe. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at The Good Dr. Dave and on Facebook at Dr. Dave or visit DaveMontgomeryMD.com. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome back to the Health Mastery Cafe, everybody. We are having a really good and, and detailed discussion with Dr. Yancey Rabowski, a virologist, people, a person who studies viruses. This is who you want to get information from. And he's breaking down all the myths. He's giving us the real facts about the coronavirus and the infection that he told us now is the COVID-19, a distinction. How do I kill it? What kills coronavirus? Well, the, the, the good thing about envelope viruses in general is that they are cured by everyday solutions. Life uh, salt, 70% uh, ethanol. Uh, okay. So, so, so many of the hand sanitizers do understand this idea of ethanol, you know, killing the virus, and they have ethanol in it. You're saying that the bar is 70%. If it's not 70% ethanol, you're probably not as efficiently killing the uh, coronavirus. Correct. Okay. What about bleach? I know a lot of people are clearing the uh, the shelves of bleaches. Does does bleach work as well? Bleach is oh, bleach is bleach is uh, exceptional as well. I'm I'm fine with that. Bleach is exceptional cleaner. Uh, it 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 kills envelope viruses very well. Who should get tested uh, for coronavirus? So uh, it's it's an excellent question. Uh, so first and foremost. People with known exposure to infected persons that have been uh, uh, confirmed by laboratory diagnosis or people who have traveled to known regions of affected areas. So, again, travel to affected areas, Wuhan province, certain provinces, uh, Hubei province in China. So, close contact with COVID-19 patients. Those people who have been close contact certainly uh, should be tested. People who reside in areas where there's been a community spread of COVID-19. Uh, so to that point, what's most important is that we don't run down to our local ERs, okay? Because what we don't want to do is inundate the system, uh, and, and we're not quite sure whether we need to be there. So. That, so, so that's really, I think that's critical. That's probably one of the most important things that we can say today. So the idea that um, you going to an ER if you have cold-like symptoms um, is not the reflex that you should have. You should be reflexively picking up the phone, calling your health care provider, and talking about your symptoms to see if your symptoms warrant going into a, an ER or to a hospital. To your point, Dr. Rubowski, there are no treatments for the disease. In other words, we can't kill it once you've been infected. We have to wait for the course of your own immune system to kill the virus. 
With that being said, if you have minimal symptoms and you go into an ER and we inundate the ER or, or hospitals with people who have minimal symptoms, what happens is the people who really, really need it don't get it. We start using up uh, the, the um, resources and we also potentially infect other people with that uh, in mind. And so I, I understand that in general, um, the nation's desire to try to test so that we can get some numbers. That's an epidemiologic thing. But I think that's the, the, the part that I'm having a hard time with. Just running off to go get tested gives us data, but actually may be counterproductive. Right. And people who are very ill obviously should be making their way to a hospital to really get all of that maximal sort of supportive care that we have in, an, uh, you know, in a hospital setting like fluids and, and other um, conservative treatments that we, uh, that we give or, 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 or other um, uh, treatments that we give people. So th this idea that um, you know, we can stop the spread of the virus, of, of coronavirus, by washing our hands – um, and keeping our hands out of our mucous membranes is what I'm going to be talking about on Monday on television. Our eyes, our nose, and our mouths. I cannot tell you how many people, Dr. Rubowski, I was at an airport recently, who even in the midst of all of this sort of news, I saw people digging in their noses and rubbing their eyes and literally a guy chewing his fingernails with his, with his fingers in his mouth. Yeah, and, and they're highly effective. I mean, if I, if I wash my hands really well, the virus goes down the sink. If I clean my surfaces, the virus gets killed on the spot. If I don't shake hands or around people who might be infected, sneezing or coughing within six to nine feet and then leaving those live particles for three to four days on different surfaces, as we talked about, then the virus then dies. And so what's really effective are those things. Keep your hands out of the mucous membranes. If a virus is on my skin and there is no break to my skin, the virus doesn't get in. But if I put it in a mucous membrane, like an eye, a nose, or a mouth. Not many people are digging their fingers down into so far in their ear that they get to a mucous membrane because uh, you'll be in bad shape if you do that. But, but, but you know, the eyes, the nose, and the mouth. And so many people are doing it right now as they listen to this, putting their hands in their face. Take your hands out of your face. Clean your surfaces and clean your hands. And here's a piece I'll end with that I'm going to be showing people on Monday. If you really want clean hands, clean your hands like a surgeon, okay? Clean your hands like a surgeon. I'm going to be giving people some tips on that. The last piece where we talk about surgeons is this frenzy around masks. Dr. Rabowski, please, are these masks, is it overblown? Do they work? And if not, why? So, sure, of course. Uh, so I will say that, first of all, there's a difference between a respirator mask, being the N95 type mask, and a surgeon or face mask, okay? Surgeons or face masks are much thinner and uh, do not provide the seal around the, the mouth. Yeah. So here's the thing. Healthcare professionals should be wearing N95 masks per CDC regulation and WHO regulation guidelines. These masks are fitted to these personnel, these, these men and women in, uh, in, in these clinical situations. Uh, so they're fitted because it's very difficult to fit an N95 mask on yourself correctly and seal it the correct way. That's very different. And I, and I think what people don't understand is that these masks are not comfortable, okay? Right. N95 masks 
they're, they're warm. It gets very humid in there. Right. Claustrophobic. Yeah, absolutely. A- exactly, exactly. So what, what, hospital, what hospitals are doing is that uh, for, for, for clinicians and, and, and uh, healthcare providers in the hospital, you, you, can, you can use an N95, one N95 mask per patient. In other words, if you have an N95 mask on and you're seeing a patient, you cannot go to the next one with that same mask. Right. So this is why it's important uh, for the healthcare uh, providers to have enough masks. Now, the, now who should, now to that point, if you are asymptomatic, if you're if you're a person that has has, has, has showing symptoms, then a face mask would be appropriate because you are limiting, i.e., not stopping, but limiting the amount of virus. Uh, important distinction. Important distinction. Two things you said there. I want to I want to highlight. One is if everybody goes out and orders up all the N95 masks, uh, you know, in the country, then the people who really need them the most, the people who are taking care of really ill patients. Don't have them, so there's a resource shortage. Uh, there's a shortage in resources. And number uh, part one a of that is you probably aren't wearing it right because we get tested in specific ways. Can we tolerate the mask? Are you breathing normally with the mask? And there is a proper way to don and doff the mask. Most people don't know how to do that, even with face masks. And then number three, the 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 regular face mask that you're talking about is most useful, it sounds like, in people who do have an infection or seem like they're coughing or sneezing because it limits in some way, shape, or form the spread out into the uh, environment. Exactly. Yeah. That is, uh, that, that's huge. And I'll tell you, I, I was also looking at people, not only that put their hands in their mouth, their nose, and their, and their eyes, but I was also looking at people who, who wore the regular face mask and that they didn't have the uh, mask applied properly. It was either upside down, where the nose bar was not completely, you know, sort of applied properly. And it's like, what are you doing? It's not doing anything. And so another one of the things I'm going to tell people on, on the show is if you are going to wear the mask, let's wear the mask properly. Dr. Yancey Rabowski, thank you so much for breaking this whole thing down for the people. I really appreciate your time this morning. Dr. Rabowski, everybody, is a molecular virologist. He's straight from the source. He studies viruses, and he's been with us today on the Health Mastery Cafe 2020. Thank you again, Dr. Rabowski. Hey, thank you so much for having us today. I appreciate it. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The information you seek, the inspiration you need. Practical, relevant, current. Tune in to the Health Mastery Cafe with Dr. Dave. Nothing like this has ever been done before. The Health Mastery Cafe, rebranding health. Welcome back to the Health Mastery Cafe. Uh, good people, we are continuing our conversation around the coronavirus. We talked to our virologist, Dr. Rabowski, on the last segment. Now we're going to be delving into our kids because, after all, that's also what we're concerned about, our kids getting the COVID-19 infection. Um, I have on uh, the phone with me, live from Chicago, Dr. Allison Foster is a board-certified pediatrician. You guys all know Dr. Foster from previous episodes on the Health Mastery Cafe. She's back again, really breaking down some of this stuff. Dr. Foster, thank you for spending your time with us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to sit down and talk with you. 
Yeah. So, you know, this is uh, this is a big deal for for adults, but I know that your office is going bonkers with people concerned about their children. Absolutely. And understandably so, you know, we're, we are trying our best to really help them, um, you know, understand what's important, how to keep their families, especially their kids healthy and um, how to make sense out of all of this. Yeah. So really bring us up to speed. Um in terms of children, right, do we know how many children actually have been tested positive for COVID-19 in the U.S.? Well, you know, I, I think overall, um, as parents, we can all really breathe um, a big sigh of relief because as is true with past uh, coronavirus uh, infections that we've seen on a large, you know, outbreak scale, with this one, of course, being a pandemic, but from SARS and from MERS that we saw back in the early 2000s, kids are largely spared. Um, the rate of infection for children compared to adults is much less, and certainly the severity of, of illness is, is very low um, in kids compared to adults. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that people have to understand is that school closings are not necessarily because we think that the kids will have really bad outcomes because, as you said, historically, coronavirus has not really caused a lot of really bad illness in most, you know, kids with our, who are fully immune competent. Um, are there kids, though, that are at risk for coronavirus, like COVID-19? I mean, you know, certainly there there are always going to be um, uh, kids and, you know, the pediatric population who are at risk from uh, respiratory infections such as this respiratory infection. And the way I, I explain it to my patients and to my families is that, you know, for us, nothing really is different with this infection compared to how we look at any of the other respiratory viruses, especially this time of year. Um, I always make sure that my families know that, of course, if their child has an underlying health condition, you know, that affects their respiratory system, so asthma, our kids with asthma, our kids who are maybe born premature and are still young, uh, relatively young and have what we call chronic lung disease, those kids are at risk. Certainly our kids who are born with congenital heart disease. And lastly, our kids who are immunosuppressed for a variety of reasons, you know, perhaps they're on a chemotherapy regimen currently for cancer treatment, or maybe they take chronic immunosuppressive medication for, you know, underlying chronic conditions. Those are going to be our high-risk kids for this virus, as well as any other respiratory virus, such as the flu or, or um, RSV that we see, you know, during this time of year. Yeah, really important point. Are the symptoms the same for children? Yeah, the, the symptoms certainly are the same for children. I, you know, we know with whether you're a child or an adult, the, the two most common symptoms are going to be fever and cough. And then usually a variety of other respiratory um, uh, symptoms such as congestion, runny nose, sneezing. What we're not seeing are any um, gastrointestinal symptoms. So, you know, if your kid has a fever and is vomiting and has diarrhea, well, that's not coronavirus. But I think the important thing to note is that there's such a range of severity of illness. So you can have a child who virtually has no symptoms, maybe just their usual chronic congestion this time of year, and that could be coronavirus, right? Um, and you can certainly have an adult who is very sick and needing, you know, um, hospital-level support for respiratory uh, deterioration, and that as well, 
you know, uh, could be coronavirus. So what we know, though, is certainly um, with kids, you know, we've sort of been able to look at Chinese data to give us some some overall information in terms of what what um, is going on. And of the 90 percent um, uh, of the cases of coronavirus in the uh, Chinese population were in people ages 30 to 80. You know, there were only about 1% of cases that were in kids less than nine years old. Right, and, and that's an area that's hardest hit, right? So that's uh, that's great, uh, you know, news for the pediatric population. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and virtually there have been no pediatric deaths. You know, there was one death reported that um, there's not a lot of information um, uh, that's, that's uh, known or available uh, of someone uh, in China that was under the age of 20, above the age of 10. So, you know, we can virtually, you know, really say that in terms of uh, severe illness or even the concern for fatality from coronavirus and children, we're just not seeing that. Right. And and so, you know, a lot of people say, well, then why close the schools if uh, if the kids don't have severe illness, if, in, uh, you know, you know, an illness at all? Yeah, well, and that's a great question, and, and I think, you know, the schools are, are just, it's like a domino effect, right? Schools are all closing, it was sort of one by one, and then, you know, you get other large gathering spaces for kids that are starting to close, and that certainly has heightened some anxiety and concern among parents, and, and makes them wonder, well, the schools are closing, that must mean that we don't want, you know, the children to get coronavirus because they can become very sick. Well, no, you know, the way you, you really look at it is, Kids are master shedders and spreaders yes. um, of viruses. You know, a child is a virus's perfect dream for a host. Um, because in general, and this is true with all respiratory viruses, we certainly have some exceptions, exceptions with, you know, flu. Um, but in general, and certainly with COVID-19, kids are not very sick. And if you're not very sick, you you tend to go about your business as normal. Right. Um, and you're coughing and you're sneezing. And we know that kids certainly, uh, especially the younger ones, have personal boundary uh, uh, issues. <laughs> you can say it. Things that they probably shouldn't touch so they can easily spread virus all over the place. Including to when they go home, mom, dad, grandma, granddad. Mom, dad, grandma, absolutely. You know, so so if we can really, you know, close the schools and keep the kids at home and, and, and sort of close other large gathering places for a longer period of time, then we can um, kind of decrease the rate of these new infections that, you know, could potentially overwhelm the healthcare system. Yeah, that's exactly right. What do, what do you think parents um, do uh, that you uh, you know? In other words, what do you see um, the parents do that they shouldn't do around this? Well, you know, I, I think um, there are probably three things I, I would say that that I would suggest that parents don't do during this time. And I would say, you know, especially now that we have kids home and some parents will be home um, from work and you've got all this free time on your hand and you maybe don't want to get in the airplane or, you know, cancel that spring break trip, you don't want to then pile in the car and go visit the grandparents um, for, a, a, you know, a quick getaway. 
Ah, great. As, you know, as we discussed earlier, kids are shutters and spreaders, and kids are not severely affected from this illness, but the population who is severely affected are the older adults, and certainly, um, you know, our grandparents or great-grandparents who have underlying health issues. So it's probably not the time um, to go visit grandma. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Spend some close time with your grandparents. This is a great opportunity for the use of technology with FaceTime and Skype and maybe have some visits that way. Yeah. I would also say you don't want to overwhelm your kids at this time with excess information and your own anxieties and fears, you know, and... And certainly, you want to speak with your kids and talk to them about coronavirus. You want to make sure that, you know, they, um, at their own level, understand what's going on and you can answer all their questions and offer comfort and honesty. But you don't want to, uh, you don't want to overwhelm them and make them feel a bit anxious about what's happening. Right. So don't infect your kids with your worry and anxiety, right? <laughs> Um, yeah. and, and I would say the last thing that you don't want to do, you don't want to unnecessarily visit your health care provider or an urgent care for non-urgent issues. You know, it's tempting. Again, you, you will be home, you know, potentially with your children who are now um, out of school. This may not be the time to come sit in the waiting room um, at healthcare facilities for, you know, the off and on tummy pain that's been going on for the past six months. So I would really, you know, uh, try to maintain that social distancing that, you know, we're all hearing so much about and not um, not come into to walk-in hours or urgent cares or ERs at this point. You don't need to be there. Right. Uh, 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 you know, like you said, they're shedders and spreaders, but, a, a, you know, a pediatrician's office is a breeding ground for the the spread of these things. So you don't want to go and then exponentially increase your risk for being contracting, you know, from being infected and then taking that on to, as you said, grandma, grandpa, who might be at uh, highest risk. What kinds of things should we be doing that you don't see enough? The parents don't do this enough in your regard. Well, I think this kind of goes along um, on the opposite side of when I was saying you don't want to overwhelm your kids with excess information. I think that um, some families aren't spending enough time talking to their kids, so you do want to you do want to talk to them and find out what they already know. Um, you'd be surprised. Kids talk a lot about current events, and they hear a lot. Yes, either on you know on the news on their um, devices from friends at school. And a good way to do this is just sit down with them, no matter the age, and find out what they already know. You know, for the older kids, you can ask, are people in school talking? What are they saying? For the, for the younger kids, maybe you could ask them, have you heard grown-ups talking about a new sickness going around? What do you think about that? And then really at their own level, you can kind of dive into that a little bit more. But you want to make sure that as you do that, you're not, you know, giving them excess information that they're not asking about. Sometimes that can be a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, especially depending on what their ages are and their level of, of understanding. However, the kids nowadays are really, really smart. But there are some things that can be, you know, conveyed in the wrong way or misconstrued. Really good point. What about other things that we should be doing that you don't see enough of? Well, you know, I, I think that the schools and most households are doing a good job talking about hygiene and how to really limit the spread of of, uh, of this virus. But you do want to 
give the kids things that they can do to feel in control. And um, one of those things is certainly working on washing their hands and give kids tasks and reminders that, you know, we're going to be washing our hands a little bit more frequently than maybe we were before. So, we'll, you know, we'll wash our hands for 20 seconds and, and we're going to make sure that we um, continue to practice coughing into our elbows. You know, so giving kids things to do that makes them feel as though they're keeping not only themselves safe and healthy, but those around them. I would also make sure that we uh, definitely do maintain social distancing. You know, that's important. That's why schools are closed. But this is also probably, you know, a good time to go ahead and cancel that upcoming birthday party at the local trampoline spot. Yeah. Um, you know, because we, we do want to uh, be respectful and, and, and make sure that we understand that we live in a larger community and society. And while we're reassured that our kids aren't really the ones who are at risk of severe disease and illness from this virus, that there are others. And we each have to do our part to really um, stop the, the spread, the fast spread of this virus. And we do that by staying home as much as we can at this point. Yeah. So would you would you say staying home from from most things during a weekend is the way to go? Or are we saying large groups of people where you really don't have a lot of control about uh, where you touch and who's around yeah, you? I mean, it, it's truly with those large settings, those large groups of people. Um, uh, and, you know, it's, it's hard. It's certainly tough. But this is a great opportunity where we can find sort of things to do as a family and with, you know, just maybe a couple of other of our healthy loved ones um, and have some good family time at home, do activities outside as a family. But we really do need to, you know, respect the fact that this is a pandemic and we are seeing um, fast increases in rates of new cases in our country. And these are all measures that really will make a difference if we all do our part to uh, to. Um, respect them. Fantastic information from Dr. Allison Foster from Chicago. As always, Dr. Foster, really great nuggets that we can use right now. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me, and I, I really look forward to uh, the next time we can sit down and, and talk together. us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at The Good Dr. Dave, and on Facebook at Dr. Dave, or visit DaveMontgomeryMD.com. We'd love to hear from you. The Health Mastery Cafe, rethinking what's at stake, rebranding health. The Health Mastery Cafe with Dr. Dave is a production of DMMD Studios.